Welcome to Zero Knowledge, a podcast where we talk about the latest in zero-knowledge research and the decentralized web. The show is hosted by me, Anna. And me, Frederick. A big thank you to returning sponsor, Least Authority. They've been a long-standing sponsor, actually sponsoring us quite often over the last say six months. And so big thank you to them for the support. Least Authority is a security consulting company known for their dedication to pushing the limits on how to build privacy respecting solutions. They are a team of security researchers, cryptographers, open source developers, and privacy advocates passionate about advancing the security of projects on the blockchain. They're known for their security audits like the ETH2 specification, Protocol Labs Gossip Sub Protocol, Atomics Library Wallet and Smart Contracts for Tezos Foundation, Blockstack's Investor Wallet, Centrifuge's Tinlake 3.0, and more. Their independent reviews improve the security of the technology by immediately helping the developers of the projects, along with the users. And when the reports are published, the broader community can benefit from this shared knowledge. Now, this is why Least Authority is a sponsor of the ZK Podcast. They recognize the potential for zero-knowledge proofs and protocols to improve the scalability of projects and the privacy of users. Now, if you want to follow what Least Authority has in store, be it security audit reports, upcoming events, open-source contributions, and product development initiatives, do join their mailing list. Subscribe at leastauthority.com newsletter. So thank you again, Least Authority. Now here is our end of year and end of an era ZK podcast wrap-up episode. So we made it. End of 2020. It's uh, an interesting year. (laughs) I don't know. It's, I think it's a year that when I look at it and think about it, like, I think it's definitely hit other people harder than it has hit me because I'm like such an introvert anyway, and usually don't leave my house anyway, and have worked remotely for 10 years. <laughs> like all of this stuff is kind of normal to me. But then every once in a while, I talk to someone who it's not normal for, and they're really suffering. And I I feel with those people who've like had to shift around their entire social circle and, and the way they work and everything else. It's It's been a lot for yeah. people. Yeah, it's funny to like to come, you know, I just before we started recording here, we were talking about last year's episode. So we've been doing these end of year episodes now. This is the third one, I guess. Is it wait, is it the third one or is it the fourth one? I think it's actually the fourth one because we did one like right after we had started in the fall. I think we did one with Merrick. We did one with Utah. And then last year we did one just the, the two of us. Yeah, you're probably right. This is the fourth time that we're doing this. Now, thinking back to last year's episode and like where we were at to where we're at now, it's been a, I think everyone would say this, but it's like been a journey. I don't know if anyone would have really heard much from the podcast though, because we were always doing it sort of like from afar. Like we were, we, you and I, and I don't know if people realize that, like we were rarely in the same space. Yeah. Uh, over the last few years. So we, we are almost always calling in over Zoom and then we're recording locally. Um, so we're quite even quite used to seeing Frederick in that little window. <laughs> yeah. No, that's true. It's I actually mean, weird when we did it in person. Yeah. There, there was a time in maybe 2018 that we were in a studio together once a month or something, right? But um, no, the norm is remote. I mean, all our guests are remote too, right? So, like, we ran out of projects to interview in Berlin. <laughs> we have to start calling people in. <laughs> um, yeah, so, like I said, it's it's normal in some ways, and and obviously not normal in others. But it's been a it's been a good year for the podcast too. I mean, we've we've hit everything. Uh, much thanks to you, and less so thanks to me. But we we didn't miss a a week as it's, We've not yeah. missed anything since our dedication to going weekly. It's pretty impressive. I know. It's three years now without missing a single episode. And this past year, we did 52 episodes plus a bonus episode. We've also had two summits. 
I, I did 13 study clubs all amidst a global pandemic. I thought that was kind of... Yeah. Telegram group good. is growing steadily as well. Has a lot of activity, more than I can keep up with. I had to tune out <laughs> at some point just to... I couldn't keep up anymore. I do try to check in to see if I'm pinged. Like if, I, if anyone notifies me, like ats me, I usually see it. Not immediately because I don't have the notifications on. But I do like go back and look if I was pinged anywhere. Uh, um, it's good to know. But yeah, it's it's and tons of good content as well for this year, right? Despite the pandemic, a lot has happened in blockchain world in the past year. And I think some of the big, big like highlights outside of you know what we talked about on the show necessarily, but I mean in your world, Polkadot launching, and we have talked about that already. Yeah. I think in our AMA, but that was like, when, when did that actually, it was like July. Yeah. So it, the, that's the thing is like when, when, especially when talking to other people, you talk about a launch and it's like, oh, that, that was a day, right? That was like one big event. Well, I mean, yes and no, like it started for me in April ish, maybe even earlier, like mid March. And it didn't really wrap up until maybe September. So that was mm. like a good half year that i was like on launch this stuff. launch <laughs> um because there's i mean the way we launched polka dot as well with like staged rollouts of various features and blah 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 it, it becomes a very long thing and then there's like obviously pre-work and post-work and you got to do a lot of uh, management around it so yeah it became a like the majority of my year for sure mm. And there were some other projects that came out that we talked to over the years. Like, and I, I'm thinking there, there's actually quite a few projects that came out. New Cypher, uh, Near, Filecoin. So there's some of the L1s, also some of the L2s that had been sort of hinted at. And when you go to the ZK space, and we'll get to that actually a little bit later on, but like there's been a, I mean, this to me was the year that things that we'd been talking about or things that had been promised finally came due. And it's, pretty awesome to see them in action even if they're not all fully in action because some of the l1s i'd say are still sort of like in a in a mid state yeah. like they they're not fully the i mean even if you look at eth2 yeah. eth2 is like in a very very frozen state but they launched yeah. so they're out there and, i mean it's yeah, just it sort it's, of goes back to cool. the point of like what is even a launch i mean we, we say that polkadot is launched but it doesn't have parent chains yet so i mean it hasn't really fully launched until parachains exist um yeah. so everyone is doing these staged rollouts now where even eth right they just had their first phase one and it's probably years honestly until it's useful and so mm. yeah like launch isn't this like one big thing anymore it's you know you you provide the the spark of creation and then you leave it up to the community to say okay now take it somewhere um mm -hmm. and that's actually i think eth was phase zero yeah, that was the yeah. the term i mean they got in kind of under the wire there <laughs> i felt yeah. there was like somebody had like challenged them to a duel or like bet them a a beer or something i bet you won't get it out before 20 the end of 2020 they did it i feel i don't know i i honestly i feel tired <laughs> I do. Yeah. I mean, I know everyone's very excited that there's a rally and pre like we're getting this end of year bounce, although we're recording this like 10 days before the end of the year. So who knows what's going to happen in that time. But roughly there's some end of year bounce. And I know there's a lot of people who are very excited. I, I really feel like it's been a great year, but it's been a like it's got it's one of these years that you that you got to take stock of and you got to look back and you got to think these are the good things these are the bad things and this is what we gotta shift yeah kind of going forward yeah. so with these kind of end of year episodes i mean one of the things i think we did this last year too was sort of run down some of the topics or some of the episodes that stood out to us yeah and like going through it what what do you have what what do you remember from this year's episodes this year i remember less in part because i was more busy more other stuff going on <laughs> Um, but also, uh, I wasn't involved in all of them. Right. And I think there were some really good ones that I, that I wasn't involved in, 
But for me, it, it usually comes back like the stuff that I remember. I've talked about this on the show before is where I learn something myself and where mm-hmm. like I'm I am have some personal interest in it. And I think all of the like the ones we did on theory level stuff like Planck fr- fractal redshift. Those are interesting to me, but I have a hard time like connecting it to how I'm going to like I'm not going to sit down and use <laughs> this tech tomorrow so although maybe one day exactly but like that's (laughs) that's on the like applicability level right where i'm am i learning something that i'm going to use tomorrow um those Mm -hmm. kinds of things stick very well for me even though i think those episodes are really good i did learn a lot from them Uh, something that stuck for me more was like zk games where this is something like oh yeah this is i can play this game tomorrow or maybe i'll you know, code up some game or like do something like this. And I like that gets me excited for sure. Yeah, that was such a great one. That's the episode we did with Brian Gu talking about ZK game or Dark Forest. I think it's one of my, it's one of my favorites. We, like I was listening to it again actually recently. And unfortunately the audio that we recorded wasn't as good as some of our other episodes, but I, I still think like just that story. I remember with speaking with you after, after the the episode as well, and you were you were like, this is the kind of stuff that I've been wanting to see, like something that's so engageable and using zero knowledge proofs. And I know you've brought it up since then, too, is kind of like the yeah the beacon yeah. example of of um, like an application where it's actually used for something that people can relate to. Mm-hmm. And they actually I don't know, like they went on to do I don't know if everyone has has seen that who's listening. We didn't actually have them on the show, but uh, they presented a new ZK game that they created called Boat Fight at the ZK Summit to sort of round out the ZK Summit 6 that just happened in November. Um, it was like a mini game. I don't think it's what they're focused on, but I really do hope that they continue to develop that too, because it was like just, it was a little faster and easier. Whereas Dark Forest, which I did get addicted to, is a grinder. Like this is a, this is a life suck in a way. <laughs> like you're going to lose sleep and you're going to forget to eat. Which is awesome, but also, you know, yeah, not for casual fun yeah. gaming. It's 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 a real deal. I always felt like the the way to play Dark Forest is to write a bot that plays it for you. Like, I feel like that. I don't the, know if you can. Yeah, can of you? Of course you can. I guess so. Eh? Is that what is that what all those leaderboard people are doing? Probably. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I think another one that stuck out to me and on the topic of like me personally learning was the isogenies episode. Because it's like a topic that I've heard thrown around. It's something that was vaguely applicable to what I was working on, but I never really understood it. And I think it was, uh, maybe it was because I put more research into it before the episode. But I I also feel like I walked away actually knowing how it worked and like um, had a good intuitive understanding, which is is hard to get. Mm. I think on that front, for me, one of the best episodes and one I've cited a few times was the one we did on consensus with Itai Abraham. I found that, I mean, that clearly struck a nerve. It like, it clarified a lot of things for me. And I think that's probably why I keep citing it. I also think he's, he's just a really excellent explainer. He really thinks about how to explain what he's talking about. And it was kind of a joy to have him on. Yeah. I, I think it's good to have sort of quote unquote the same episode a couple of times. Like we've had at least two other episodes on consensus, but yeah. it's one of these things like there's, you know, many examples of this in my life where I've had something explained or something or walk, walk through something or whatever. And I felt like at the time, yeah, I get it. And then you walk away, you forget it or like it didn't really like you didn't really get that intuitive understanding. You didn't really grasp it or grok it. And then it's explained some other way or with some other intonation and it's it you it clicks. And um yeah. I think it is good to have the same kind of topics on on a sort of regular cadence. And, you know, we should never expect that our, our listeners go back and listen to 300 or whatever. There are 150 other 160. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're not quite at 300. <laughs> there was an episode that you weren't on, but that I very much enjoyed doing, which was kind of an unusual episode, which was like the sushi swap episode, which was a crossover episode with Hasu's Uncommon Core podcast. And Tarun was also on that one. 
it was kind of an unusual format. It, I think it ended up being like two hours in total. There was one episode's worth on the Zero Knowledge podcast, one episode's worth on Uncommon Core, and then a bonus part because it was recorded like, <laughs> like the day that Uniswap was released their token. They released it like later that day or the next morning or something. And so it was so... It's kind of unfortunate timing because at the end of that episode, we're all pontificating on whether they should or if they will. And we're like, nah. <laughs> and then it's like immediately proven wrong before we could even publish it. So yeah, we ended up doing kind of a bonus on that one. But I thought that was so much fun because it was such a saga. It was actually a story. And there's a few episodes like that in the past too, like the Sean Bow episode. Or I think there's an episode of Zuko that was like very much like a story. I'm trying to remember what Oh, yeah, Zuko and, and his trusted setup story, I think. So there's like, there's a few of those episodes where we really got to like, feel the drama. Despite it being a very technical space, we kind of felt that, that drama. And I think the Sushi Swap saga had a bit of that. One that you and I both did was also quite narrative. And I, this one stands out to me because Josh is amazing. <laughs> but having Josh Cincinnati finally come on the show was just a lot of fun. Yeah. And He's just really like he's gotta have a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a good or episode something. too, and it was a somewhat complex topic that we covered a bit political, but I think we managed to do it in a good way. And I actually got a note afterwards uh, from someone saying that we handled it pretty well with like relative objectivity, despite obviously telling it from Josh's point of view. Mm. One thing that actually influenced sort of what I ended up doing was like the trusted setup review. So I did this trusted setup review, which was just kind of showcasing what trusted setups had happened up to that point. And this was in the summer. And what's interesting is since then, I actually have had a chance to work with two teams doing trusted setups, one of which is live now, which is Plumo for Cello, C-Labs. But it was actually that podcast and learning about how it worked and then realizing like there's not that many people in the world who know that. And I'm really glad that I got a chance to record it and then also share it because now a lot more people do know it. They know what the experience of going through setting up one of these trusted setups is like. They hopefully have some sense of like how frustrating it is, but also how it's kind of this it's not a labor of love. What's the word for like a group of people going through something together? Whatever that is, yeah. it's something that people have to go through together. <laughs> and uh, they seem to come out the other end, you know, in a good mood. And then there's there's a few projects that I just want to kind of do a shout out to because, you know, the Zero Knowledge podcast, starting as a blockchain podcast and evolving into a Zero Knowledge podcast. Last year, I feel like it was focused very much on the new protocol development, the new kind of ideas, the new research. There was like Snark Timber. Snarkto Snarktober? One of the, whatever, one of these. But this year, it was like projects that we've, you know, basically the things we've been hinting at or the, the ideas that have been floated, they started to actually come live. And some examples of that would be like Hermes, Loopring, Macy, Diversify, and also projects like Alio that are Zexy, the Zexy curve from the ground up. And I mean, by live, some of them are still on testnet, but like, the engineering is happening now and at a professional level, not just at a POC level. So I think that's been pretty awesome. Yeah. There's one episode that I can remember, but honestly not for its contents. <laughs> I, I do remember there were some interesting discussions, but I can't really pinpoint exactly what they were. And it's the episode with Vitalik and Justin. And the reason I remember it is just the setting was so crazy. It was... <laughs> At the start of February, the pandemic had, like, I think it had been announced a pandemic, but I'm not exactly sure. It hadn't really hit the U.S. yet. There weren't any yeah. travel bans. We were all in San Francisco uh, at the Stanford Blockchain Conference, and we were meeting up with Vitalik and Justin afterwards. Went out to their, like, big mansion that they had rented with the whole ETH team. <laughs> And we we're sitting in this room, and Vitalik was sick. <laughs> and, I know he was very yeah. sick. So we're like, he coughed yeah, a lot. I think like we cut it out. In the middle of a <laughs> pandemic, with like interviewing someone who's sick, like in their house, like house. <laughs> yeah, it's, but it's um, yeah. I don't know. There, there I was remember. some some interesting sort of. It was an interesting episode 
to learn what goes on at ETH Research that isn't just like, oh, we're doing this new consensus algorithm. Like it, the, what they work on is pretty broad. And I think that that's the interesting highlight of that episode. I also thought with that one, I mean, I thought I'd love to have them on again or someone else from that team on again. But I think it's really good that we did that that sort of episode as an introduction to what we're digging into. I mean, actually, I would say I have since then, you know, had Macy and there's a few other projects that are deep in the ETH, like the ETH research team. What do they call it? The ZK working group or something like the zero knowledge team, like focused on that research. I have had a few of those projects on or I will have a few of them on. But I do. I would love to have uh, Justin and Vitalik or one or the other come back on and actually continue that conversation, like take it that next level, because I do think it was quite introductory. And uh, I'm sure we could talk about a lot more stuff. So I think that covers a lot of the episodes that we remember, but there is a full selection of episodes. And the truth is, a lot of the time, it'll come up in conversation, maybe in a future episode, and then I'll remember like this key point from an episode. I guess what I'm trying to say here is like, none of my children are my favorite or something. Yeah. There's like, I'm trying to make sure that, that everybody knows I think, that. I think it's also unlikely that what we remember is what other people remember. Like, I, I don't feel like there's like, oh, this episode is just clearly objectively better than all the others. And therefore, yeah. go to l listen to that one. Like, this is our subjective list of just random stuff, right? Where if someone else went through all the 53 episodes, then they'd probably come out with a different list of favorites. So, yeah, just hearkening back to that distance between the 2019 episode and this one. Back then, I had, you know, we just picture like I was, both of us we were just looking out at this big open year. I expected to be traveling the whole time like I had been. I also had a few projects lined up that didn't work out. One of them, or didn't work out last year. So one of them, and this I, I've been asked a few times about this. Last year, there was a planned Snarks kind of course, a Coursera course. And it actually was partially completed when the whole lockdown happened. And it unfortunately delayed and kind of, yeah, it pushed back what we had planned. Now I know that there is still hope for that course and it is something that continues to be like a possible thing to release next year. The only thing that's tricky is that zero knowledge research stuff moves quickly. And so hopefully when we release it, it's still viable. We may have to re-record some of it to make it happen. But for anyone who's been asking, and I have gotten a few emails about that, that is still in the works. I want to apologize that, you know, it's one of the projects, like I'm very proud of the projects that did come through, but this is unfortunately one that hasn't yet. Um, I do like to deliver on on the things I say I'm going to do. On the other side of that, though, on, on a more positive note, the Zero Knowledge Validator, I think this past year came into its own because, I mean, just picture, I think it started in the summer of 2019. We had our first node in the cosmos, like in the set in November, I believe. So last year, it was still a pretty kind of minor project. We weren't sure how it was going to go. We weren't sure if it would be well received. The Zero Knowledge Validator being the like a, an entity that I created with Will Harborn. And what we do is we are a validator on numerous L1s that have proof of stake. And using the funds that we generate, we have kind of various ways of connecting those L1s with the zero knowledge community or championing zero knowledge proof research or development on those L1s. And we're looking for all sorts of ways that we can basically focus in on that one topic and be the representative in a way on these different networks. Anyway, I I'm very pleased with how that's turned out. And yeah, I don't know, random, random side note plug for something I'm doing. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was told this year that I don't shill, which is hilarious. Cause like the moment someone tweeted that at me, I feel like I just became a terrible, terrible shill <laughs> and I I'm sorry. And I'll do my best to go back to normal as soon as possible. But I don't know. I also want to be proud sometimes. Is be proud too lame? I don't know how to say that. No, I think it's it's good to be proud of what you do and, <laughs> and feel like you can talk about it. Like it's not all talking about something is shilling either. It is actually a, like a 
an interesting topic to talk about shilling because like everyone has a slightly different interpretation of the word and many have a negative connotation but also many don't right i i think that's you know as i look at crypto communities in particular right there's one community that oddly i respect more than most others and it's like the wall street bets uh type of people who are so upfront with just like, I'm here for the money. I'm gonna like play this game to gain as much as I can. And that's why they're here. And it's very honest and open and like, yeah, they're shilling, but you know that they're shilling, you know why they're shilling. There's no, there's nothing else going on. And um, mm. I think it, I think as long as you are open and honest and just like know why you're doing something and being honest with that, like shilling can be a good thing for sure. Yeah. I like I, I actually was just thinking about this the other day which is like this idea of intellectual honesty. In this space you feel it a lot. People have either publicly or not publicly they have tokens, they they have stake in something. Sometimes like, you know, if you look at the VCs or the even the angel investors like they're going to they're going to be really heavily positioned and that will influence what they think is cool and what they think is lame. And depending on how convincing they are, and sometimes like how intransparent they are, people might be buying into what they're saying and believing it as like truly thoughtful fact. When when there there is there's an interest in in their thought leadership. There's like a a reason that they're highlighting something over another. But I don't know like the trouble is is like it's so normal. It's so natural very human. I don't know yeah. how, and I don't know that I'm not guilty of that sometimes too. Like, sure. I'm sure that I have friends in certain teams that give me bias towards them. I, I have... Everyone has biases, but I think, I mean, the, this is a thing that comes up with like YouTube reviewers all the time too, right? Where can I trust this reviewer? Is he actually going to give an honest review or like he's he, he got this camera or whatever from the manufacturer? Obviously, he's not going to be honest. But then... Like something I've learned from watching YouTube reviews <laughs> is you just need to learn that person and their biases, right? And I, I think uh, MKBHD, who's a very big reviewer, has an episode on this where he talks about, you know, you have to watch his episodes to lear learn what he is, what his biases are, what he likes and dislikes. And then you view his stuff with that lens, right? I'm not mm -hmm. gonna watch uh, an MKBHD video with the same lens as a Linus Tech Tips video because they're very different people who like different kinds of stuff and have very different biases. The problem in crypto space is personalities and like entities aren't so well developed that I can, you know, subscribe to a person and then know after a couple of whatever <laughs> that this is their bias, this is what they think, and this is like where they're coming from. Um, it's yeah. all very sneaky. It's all very trying yeah. to hide the bias rather than bringing it to the forth and saying like, here's my bias and, you know, listen to me with this in mind. And there's also a lot of like shady, like actually shady tactics, like buying Twitter accounts and having puppet, mm. you know, Reddit users Although, and I mean, this kind of stuff. That was invented in Silicon Valley. That wasn't invented in crypto. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, it, it exists in many <laughs> Or maybe places. it was invented yeah. somewhere else. I don't um, know. It's just in other places we have found more or less effective ways of filtering that out, right? Um, mm. Here we haven't really found a way to address that yet. Yeah, and I think there's, I mean, I think now it's been three years, actually more than three years of being in the space, three years that we've been doing the podcast. I'm actually really pleased with the fact that I don't think we've had, at least not many, projects on that I would say ended up being real crappy yeah there are there are a few that maybe have evolved a lot and there's some that maybe had tough endings but the people that we had on i would say for the most part they came in good faith and i don't think we had too many people who i felt like came with some agenda or were like really ready to like bullshit tor towards some goal yeah i think people that we've had have been i think it's a good. combo of both being picky and who we choose and like doing a bit of research ourselves and looking at it critically, but also just like, it's hard to bullshit 
on a very technical topic for an hour. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it gets tricky. Like, it's easy to bullshit in 140 characters. <laughs> but uh, when you're actually sitting down and talking about something deeply for an hour, it gets really hard. So I think we should chat now a bit about you yeah. and what you have planned. Uh, big announcements that yeah. might or might not be spoiled by the title of this episode. I'm not sure what <laughs> we will title it, but maybe <laughs> I think we probably should spoil it by the title. But yeah, the big announcement is I'm, I'm leaving the show. And we'll see what leaving really means. Uh, I don't think it's my last episode ever. But um, yeah, I, we've touched on this already a little bit where most of this year was taken up by launch stuff for me. So like back in April, all throughout June, basically, there were a lot of episodes that I've missed already and you've brought in other co-hosts. And um, back then it was... 100% like a time thing. It was just not possible for me to to take an hour and a half a week. Mm -hmm. um, but a, a couple of other things that I think people are mostly aware of, but like I don't talk about a lot is during that whole same time, I was moving to Berlin, I had a small baby that's slightly over one year now, um, starting to demand more attention. <laughs> like when it's a three-month-old mostly sleeps all day, I could... <laughs> game or or you know record an episode of a podcast while she was sleeping it gets harder and harder and so I, as i'm gaining time back now from launch being done i do want to spend time on that instead and even though like an hour and a half a week isn't that much time what i've found and like as i've tried to get back um into this what i found that i struggle with is if I treat it as that, as just an hour and a half a week, it's not very satisfying for me or I think for the guest because I don't put in the research that I want to put in. I don't come to it like with enough thought and enough like presence of mind that I want to be in the episode with. So in at the end of the day, I think it turns out to be a worse episode. I think it's unfair to the guest to not really come prepared. And if I really want to do it the way I want to do it, then I don't know that it's, it's the presence of mind thing. That's the biggest thing for me. It's like, I need to like get amped up. I need to feel like I really want to do this interview. And yeah. if I know that I'm neglecting something else, <laughs> then I can't really do that. And I think maybe this is also the way that the pandemic has affected me the most is that because we moved right at the start of this. There were a lot of things just in, in life that didn't really pan out the, the way it should have, which is like sending our daughter to kindergarten was extremely difficult and took longer and a bunch of problems. There weren't really any parent groups because they weren't allowed yeah. to meet anymore. Um, so it's been much more taxing on my wife more than me. Um, but that also means that I want to make sure that I actually take the time now to, to not have it be that taxing on her. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of just life stuff in general as well as like work stuff, obviously, that, that plays into my choice here. Um, yes. So I do want to say like this year, it was in, I think it was around April, March, April, that we kind of agreed that you would, that I would do more of the episodes and that I'd also, like I kind of suggested it I think I was like there's some other folks that I want to see what it's like doing some guest hosting with them and to me the way that I I mean I've known about this decision a little longer than our listeners um, and I'm obviously I feel like it's a bit of the end of an era because it was three years that we did this show together as Anna and Frederick doing Zero Knowledge but I do feel like in the last year it was like you were starting to sort of step away anyways. And so it's not shocking. And hopefully for our listeners, it's not devastating. Because I hope you'll keep listening. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, it is the end of a chapter of this podcast. I mean, this podcast came up because you wanted to do it. You had this idea uh, of having a 
technical podcasts that you couldn't quite find in what was out there at the time. We were both working at Parody and Jack Frantram stepped up and basically said, I want to join too. We started this as a three-person podcast and then soon it became a two-person podcast. And I think most people have only known it that way. But I I think of this three-year journey, I mean, what's, I think it's sad, but I also think it's timed interestingly like it's a bookend in a way to these three years and if you think back to where we started as people and as as professionals in this space I guess I can call us that like it's been a long it's we've come a long way I think yeah for sure I mean the the difference between not even the first but like the first year of episodes and content um to now is is for sure night and day both in gear and tech and editing and <laughs> mixing and post-processing as well as interviewing and and um general content production <laughs> i think it's it's uh, a big difference and yeah I, I think it's in a weird way it, it is perhaps uh, a less dramatic change for us because it, it's the same thing has happened with the summit right where we did the first summit where i was participating quite a lot mm-hmm. I, I, you were I think still you like programmed it with me though I think yeah it was pretty but active, you were still yeah. the one like arranging it and, and fixing all the venue and everything like um that was actual work but i was involved and then over time i got less involved with some of the last two i think i haven't been involved at all mm-hmm. um the study cl- club i've basically never been involved in and so <laughs> the zk brand has grown and it's grown without me and beyond me and so it, I think it's pretty natural for us that you know, I step away from the podcast and it's your podcast. I, I don't know what it will be like for the listeners. I don't think I don't think it would be or should be a large upset because yeah, we've like like you said, we've already done lots of episodes without me. <laughs> I think we've proven that the content can be great anyway. Maybe, um, but I would say this: like I think there is something about the combo. Of, of you and I doing these interviews. And I do hope, and I think that we've we've talked about this, I think when when the time is right, you're going to be back for, for sure, for some guest episodes, guest host episodes. And who knows where you're at in the future. Maybe yeah. there's a moment where yeah. you do feel like joining again. And obviously the door is absolutely open. I think it's been a real kind of pleasure working with you. So... Yeah, likewise. I do think, um, looking back at the three years, I, I do think there is a lot uh, accomplished, a lot to be proud of. I mean, it, it is definitely no small feat to go weekly on a podcast, especially on a topic like this. I, I remember when we first, like, w- at the very first inception of the podcast, we were thinking monthly. And then I don't know why we switched to weekly. It was just it's like, your oh, idea. Okay. You were like, <laughs> I think you were like, it only works like <laughs> audiences only grow if you do it weekly. You would, you'd yeah. seen this, yeah. you knew this somehow. All right. And I was yeah. like, what? That's insanity. <laughs> yeah. How do we fill like 40 minutes per week? And now actually most of the episodes are about an hour. I did. I, I do remember thinking we would definitely not be able to like keep it up that we would miss here and there, Something. but that's fine. <laughs> but then we ended up not missing anything. Uh, that was pretty cool. I want to ask you a few kind of questions as we kind of wrap up this three-year journey. Like we started, remember we started, a, it was a blockchain podcast. It was not a zero-knowledge podcast. And I actually wanted to ask you, I want to I hear what you're thinking. Like, I don't know if you actually entered it with a ton of optimism of like blockchain is going to save the world. But like over these years, like where do you stand on that front? Do you feel hopeful or do you feel less hopeful like knowing what you've learned i still feel uh, hopeful but it it definitely goes in waves i remember talking about this with the episode with the guy from least authority whose name i can't remember i'm sorry (laughs) but um uh i I said that i entered the space almost purely out of technological interest you know from a coding perspective working on P2P protocols and consensus algorithms and networking and all this stuff is super fascinating. But relatively quickly, and actually went more into a philosophical direction, I kind of realized 
as I was working on it, that, hey, actually, this can have a really transformative effect. It can have a huge impact on society. And then I think over the past three years, we've seen more and more instances of these centralized entities abusing their power. And the, every time I see someone abuse their power, it's just like, no, we, we actually need to fix this. This is going to be terrible. That's interesting because when I see those things, to me, it's more like there's more inevitability. Like it's not so much, oh, that's bad and we got to fix it. But it's more like that is going to get washed away in time because it yeah. doesn't work. Yeah, It's lost the hearts and minds of people. They're not trusting this at all. It's going to be really hard to get people to trust what's coming. But like, to me, it's just like, it's actually signs that this is happening. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do get that feeling every once in a while, too. Like, I have this internal discussion of like, do people care about privacy? One day I'm like, yeah, I think they do. And another day I'm like, no, they definitely don't care about privacy. Mm. Um, and I think it's the same kind of thing here where do people care about whether people, whether like businesses are tracking them online or not, which is sort of privacy, sort of not. But then I, I do also get back to like, no, I like, I see this problem. I think I know what a technological solution could be. Like I find it weird and fascinating that browsers are now starting to take the fight on tracking when browsers were the things that a lot like introduced tracking in the first place. Like if you think about it, browsers are the thing that, that invented cookies. They're the things mm. that lets businesses track you. <laughs> Why not just make a browser that bans those things? <laughs> but who's, who's fighting it? You mean like Mozilla or? Like Apple is definitely on the forefront of taking up the fight on privacy. Like Safari has built in content like tracking and, and it's not great, but like it's something. And like there's a big fight now between Facebook and Apple because Facebook is seeing what Apple is doing as detrimental to their business. They can't track people anymore. Mm. Um, and so they're really pissed at Apple. <laughs> but it's just like annoying that it has to be like this big centralized entity like Apple that goes in and, and says, actually, our competitive advantage over Google is that we we have a business model that doesn't require tracking people. Therefore, we can go strong on privacy and try to attack Google that way. <laughs> like mm. It's not because they care about people, obviously. It's because they it gives them a, a competitive edge, whereas Google's entire business relies on tracking people. Hmm. So they can't offer privacy. It's so funny because I think of like privacy and blockchain as sort of, I mean, I think maybe earlier on I thought they were very intertwined, but now I think of them as quite separate. And I think of the example you gave of like Google and the browsers being, and the business model being about trackability, but they're also in a way, not so much anymore, but their whole philosophy was more transparent. Apple was always more shadow figure and closed. And so privacy sort of fits in their motto. And I think that blockchain privacy, in a way, I mean, yes, every, every L1 that we speak to is like trying to build something in or wants to build something in. But like, I also think there are differing forces here. And it's going to be very interesting to see, like what I was talking about before with the inevitability, I think was more about like decentralized systems are kind yeah. of inevitable, I feel. Like, I feel like we're going through these cycles of like centralization and decentralization. And I get the sense that we're heading towards a decentralization, actually. But in terms of privacy, I don't know. I mean, I re I'm sort of surrounded by the privacy scene in a way. And I feel like that's what I read and follow and stuff like that. But I mean, the average person that I know who isn't in the space does not have any real sense of their own lack of privacy. So there was this show that came out this summer called The Social Dilemma on Netflix. And a lot of people I know who aren't in tech or in blockchain were so excited about it. But if you watch it, like anyone who works in tech is like, this is, this has been very clear and obvious for years. 
for like yeah. 10 years, not like a little bit of time. And the fact that people were like, what? Again, it's not the first time this has been revealed, but they they keep forgetting and they keep needing to be reminded, it seems. So that's why I, I, I worry about like just the general public's attitude towards privacy. I guess I guess the sad thing is, is like bad things have to happen. And then going forward, people pay attention. I don't want to live in a world where it's like East Germany either, like where everyone becomes very secretive and, you know, paranoid and worried. Yeah, there's got to be some balance. But yeah, yeah right no. now I feel like it's heading more towards more transparency, but at the expense of people. Yeah, I, I think, um, and I think, I don't know if it was an episode this year or last year. We had an episode with it all blurs Tux, together. Yeah. We had an episode with uh, Tux who talked about selective disclosure, and I think that's oh. the that's the key. Um, where it's Is not that about Tux or Benedict. I don't know, maybe both. Okay. <laughs> it's a relatively common topic now, <laughs> um, but I think that is the future where it's not all on or off. Like that, we can't live in a world that is that way. But. I should have a say in what I reveal to whom. Mm -hmm. um, and and then be assured that that's what's going to happen. <laughs> that's a problem, right? Like, oh, I actually do feel like I can give my data to Google because I don't really care if Google sees it, the company. My problem is that I know Google is going to sell that and I don't know who they're going to sell it to. Mm. Like that's my problem. And if I can say I am fine with sharing this with you, but I don't want you to go and sell it to whoever you want, then if we can crack that, then then I think that's the sweet spot. But I also think like blockchain and privacy definitely don't go hand in hand. Like they, they are not at all related. <laughs> and yeah. They, Originally, it just happens to be that the people interested in one is usually interested in the other. Um, and actually, I think like the zero knowledge proof in a way, in a weird way, is a bridge bridging point yeah, between those sure. things. For sure. And that's what could enable this selective disclosure. But I'm still excited idea. about blockchain tech as a like, I think what what people mostly don't realize or don't talk about is how underlying like bottom level layer thing it is like it shouldn't be known that something is like people don't know that they're using tcp ip like in the same way they shouldn't know that they're using a blockchain but blockchain is still that underlying you know provides a peer-to-peer -peer network that is free from people listening or free from centralized actors being able to censor you and providing those sort of very core layer stuff and we had that. We had that in, in the 90s. We had P2P networks. We have P2P networks in other places. It's just that they usually don't work. They don't scale. There's a bunch of problems with them. And still, from what I can tell, most of those problems stem from not having an incentive layer. And so merging those old technologies with an incentive layer, that's what provides uh, an actually functioning, scalable, like human scalable core that then we can build stuff like privacy and other things on top of. Mm. But it's also, I think, a problem with the blockchain space is that so many people are, you know, quote unquote, mainstream, you know, hunters where they, oh, I'm working on this blockchain application. It's going to be mainstream. No, no, it's not. Like it's a, it's a ridiculous notion that it would be mainstream, whatever anyone is doing right now. Um, yeah. You really like, think that that's so far off? I mean, you said it yourself. Like, we've talked about privacy and, like, Facebook invading people's privacy for 10 years. And the mainstream still doesn't really get it. Like, yeah. they're starting to get it now. It takes 20, 30, 50 years for mainstream to actually start understanding and using something. That's It's a different time scale than people expect. And we, we are kind of 10 years into this now. So it's not like, oh, we have another... 50 years ago, but, um, and tech usually like adoption usually accelerates over time. So maybe we're only 10 or 20 years away, but I still think that's the <laughs> timeline we're looking at. Hmm. And I don't think you can sell a blockchain application as anything mainstream today. Like you sell whatever is like two, three layers above that. Like that's what is mainstream. For sure. But I also, I agree with you that I think the, this, this concept of what's happening underneath 
while it may be financially triggered, like there might still be a connection to a, almost like a share or a stock or something like that. I mean, the token could still be there, but like the, that at some stage it's so over, like the layers are so high that maybe it's not, it's not like a standalone project the way it is right now, where we like know the L1s and we like talk about them as these full on products, even though they're really still kind of supposed to be the foundation for all these other things. Yeah. So I think this sort of brings us to the end of this recording, this episode. And uh, I think I've already said it, but it's been a really fantastic three years. I have made an executive decision as the now sole runner of the podcast, of the ZK podcast, that I want to take for the first time in three years, a week off of the podcast, which means... Well earned. <laughs> next week, uh, which is the beginning of January, there will be no Zero Knowledge podcast. But that does not mean it's not coming back. But I do think that, I don't know if I've already said this, but it's like, Year one to year two was us figuring out what the hell this thing was, like the podcast, and focusing mostly on blockchain. Then it was zero-knowledge-proof research, and then this past year has been zero-knowledge-proof application. And it wasn't necessarily planned out that way, but that's how it landed. And going forward, I want to spend some time, and that's actually what I'm going to be doing over the next few weeks, is I want to spend some time thinking about where does the curiosity and this, this sort of like line of thinking go? What kind of topics... Have we not had a chance to really dig into where are, you know, new kind of questions that mostly that just get me inspired and make me want to meet the people that are doing these things. So that's what I'm going to be spending some time on. And I'm very excited to have, you know, to have actually in a way expanded the zero knowledge community also with a lot of the guest hosts. I believe you'll be hearing more from them in the new year as well. And so stay tuned. Uh, see you in a couple weeks. I'm quite excited for this little <laughs> little mini break. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know if there's anything else. I guess it's just uh, I can't believe we made it through this year. And here's hoping that next year is for a lot of people a lot more fun, a lot easier. And for the folks that had a good year, hope you keep on going. The bull run won't last forever, but enjoy it while you while you do. <laughs> or maybe it does last forever. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Probably not, but maybe. <laughs> All right. Thank you again, Frederick. Yeah, and to our listeners, thanks for three years of listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.